Is the mic working? There okay. you go. Today's scripture is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our, your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Here ends the reading for this, for this morning. Let me pray and, and uh, dismiss the children. Lord, um, I thank you for the kids you've blessed us with. Each of them are a gift from you. And Father, I pray that each of these gifts, that we would be wise in how we train them in the ways of you. And Lord, would you graciously be with those who are going to work with them. And... Um, Father, I pray that each of our children will grow up to love you, to know you, and to serve you all the days of their lives. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So kids are dismissed. Ephesians, what a glorious book. Probably about January, I started trying to memorize um, the book of Ephesians. My little phone app says I've mastered the first chapter and a half, but truth be told, I think I've mastered the first verse. It's a glorious book. It's a rich book. And, 
And it's a book, I think, that's been meant, that, or a letter, actually, that, that the Lord has meant for us to continually return to and to chew on and to, and to consider and to think about and, and let it seep into our hearts and minds. And I think that's specifically true for the first 14 verses that we just heard. The book of Ephesians was written, as we're told in verse 1, by the Apostle Paul to the saints, to the holy ones, to the ones who have been set apart that lived in Ephesus. Now, the city of Ephesus was, some suggest, 250,000 people in the first century. quarter million people. And you say, well, that's not a great big city, but in that era, that was a huge city. It was probably the most significant city in the Roman Empire outside of Rome. Some would include in that group Alexandria as well. It was a major trade route. The people were coming and going. And, and actually, at the time of the Apostle Paul, when he's writing this letter, this city was booming as people were coming there to work. A major city. Paul, actually some probably six, seven years before he writes this letter, had spent two and a half, three years in the city of Ephesus where he planted the church. And when Paul writes to the Ephesians, don't think of him writing to Calgary Community Reformed Church or Community Grace that meets in a building. Think of him writing to the church in Calgary. Okay? And he's writing to churches that are meeting in all kinds of houses and maybe still in the hall of Tyrrhenius. But they would be gathered in separate different places and Paul is writing to the church, the body of Christ, the people of God in Ephesus. Quite likely this letter was also meant to be uh, shared with the surrounding areas where there was individuals who were following Christ. I think it's a significant book for us to gather around for the summer because it's a book that speaks about who we are as Christians. It's a book that tells us who we are as a church. It's a, it's a book that tells us and shows us how we ought to pray. And it's a book that shows us how we ought to relate with one another. And so it's a, an incredibly rich book. Paul starts in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you and I were writing a letter, we'd, we'd probably say something, I hope all is well. When Paul would write a letter, he'd say, grace to you in peace. But it's not a shallow little statement. I don't think he's just doing that because that's what he's used to. I think he's doing that because he believes that these people need grace. God's mercy. These people need God's peace. And he believes that that grace and peace doesn't come from him, and it doesn't come from each other, and it doesn't come from within us. It comes from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think in that very first verse, in verse 2, he's actually praying for them. That this would be a reality. It's my prayer that over the course of the next several weeks that God would grant us grace and peace. Peace with Him, peace with each other, peace internally. Grace, just unmerited favor from God. David said, it's raining today. A sign of new beginnings. I thought that was good. I saw raining today. We can't go outside and eat. 
But I like what David said. That's much better. And that fits with the rest of the chapter. After the Apostle Paul mentions these greetings, he breaks out into praise. Now Paul has a way of breaking every grammar rule possible. Verses 3 through 14 is one sentence in the original language. It's almost as if he's, he's dictating maybe to Luke or Timothy who's trying to keep up writing for him and he doesn't even stop to take a breath and, and as he's just pouring out all these praises that he's thankful for, uh, they're trying to write, trying to write, trying to write and, and, and he doesn't even pause. One writer says it's almost like it, there's a little snowflake and it and turns into a snowball and it begins to roll down this hill and it, and it gains this momentum and, and, and that's what's going on here. I kind of liken it to coffee. A number of years ago, well, actually a few years ago, when we moved back to Calgary, I wanted to get to know this area, and so in order to do that, I th- went to work at a coffee shop. I won't name which brand, but I like their Christmas blend. And as I worked downtown in this coffee shop, well, the idea was to kind of get to know the area, get to know the people, kind of kind of click with people and so they needed to train me to understand coffee well I can drink anything that I put to my lips and at the beginning of those days they said so we want to train you to understand coffee to taste the differences and so they put several coffees before me and they would go taste this one and they said what is it what does it taste like and I said coffee <laughs> and taste that one what does it taste like coffee what does it smell like coffee I wasn't very good, but as I began to appreciate coffee, I began to realize first, well, this one's more bitter than that one. And eventually I could start tasting, well, there's a little chocolate, a hint of chocolate in this one, or a hint of berry in this one. Or, or, and, and, and I became not quite a connoisseur, but I learned to appreciate all the varieties of coffee. I say that, Because when Paul breaks out into praise, I don't think our job today is to exegete this text to such an extent that we walk away and understand it completely. I think our job today is to take a taste of this passage and to walk away with it and go, I need to thank God for this. Because Paul actually lists a pile of stuff. Does that make sense? In other words, it's very hard to structure this passage and say, here's, here's six things that Paul is saying, because he's probably saying a hundred things in here. We're going we're gonna to try to attempt to look at six things, but my hope is that you will taste it this morning. And then later this week, you will taste it again, and you'll, and you'll see something else. And maybe next week, you'll taste it again, and, and it'll, it'll shape your prayers as you praise God for what He's done for you. Now, before we dive in, one more thing. What is it that you're thankful for? What 
What is it that you're thankful for? For your health, yes. We, 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 we thank God for so many things, and we should. We, we thank God for the roof over our head. This week we've found water in our north-facing wall. And we've got all kinds of problems, and it's caused me all kinds of concern. And I'm like, how is this going to get fixed? And, and I'm wrestling with that, but I'm thankful I have a roof over my head. I'm thankful for the fact that we've got food after the service. This is good. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for the way God has graciously given my wife health over these last couple of years. I'm thankful for my children. But Paul's in prison when he writes this letter. It's really important to stick that in the back of our mind. And he doesn't actually say, God, thank you for the bread and water that I got this morning. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my kids or my family. We don't think he had kids. But do you understand? He's thanking God for another reality. And I think he shapes us to know how to praise God. Let's dig into the passage. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. This word blessed means to praise God. Thank Him. And, and, and we're to thank Him because He's blessed us, he's, he's given us favor, He's graced us with every spiritual blessing as opposed to every material thing and really, the idea is there, everything that the Spirit has given us. This is the idea of the new covenant. The Spirit has given us all kinds of blessings. And he says, praise God for every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms or in the heavenly places. In the places that I can't see, but these things are real and they're true and they're important. Praise God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. What we're going to find in this passage and in throughout Ephesians and throughout Paul's letters is Paul likes this little phrase, in Christ, or in Him, or in the Beloved. And at sometimes it's, it's kind of odd the way he uses it. But it's really important. Because these blessings are because we're connected to Jesus or we're in union with Jesus. And he's going to be using this over and over. In fact, in his first little 14 verses, he uses it so many times, it's almost like gets monotonous. But all of these blessings are from God our Father and they, they come to us by being in union with Jesus. And they come to us by the Spirit of God. Okay? Now, let's carry on. What are those blessings? As I said earlier, it is hard to break this down and, and, and structure it. You can read 20 different authors and they're going to have different ways to structure it. But let's try to break it down into six. Six praises that the Apostle Paul has for the people the first one is this. God chose us. 
Verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. God chose us. Or as the text will say, He predestined us. Predetermined. He, 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 he made a decision. But when did He make it? Did you notice? It, it wasn't yesterday. It was before the foundation of the earth. Before He creates Adam and Eve. Before He puts the world into place. He actually thought of you. Do you see how that is far bigger than the roof over my head? Now, He chose us for a reason. Did you notice that? To be holy and blameless. He chose us to be holy and blameless. He didn't simply choose us and say, now just live as you want. There's there's an element where we're to be like the Israelites were, to be different, unique, separate. When the world looks at us, and Paul's going to, we should look different. The world looks at me and and, and all they see is an angry man that, that, that hates his children. They will not see Christ. But God chose us for a purpose. To be holy and blameless. Literally before Him, in His presence. That's beautiful. That's where we live. Now remember, Paul's in prison. He's probably thankful he's spared from the elements, but it's probably not the best place to live. And he's thanking God for something hard to grasp that God before the creation of the world would choose us. Now how's the, what's the impact of that? Well this week I'm trying to study this passage and as I told you my north wall has is, is got water in it. The last word is they cleaned it out and they, and they said we're bringing the adjuster in and I'm like okay we're, we're not sure if the insurance will cover it. If they don't cover it I don't know what we're going to do. And so I'm worried. Middle of the night, I wake up, I'm like, how's that going to work? What, how are we going to pay for that? How are we going to fix it? What's the, and, and so I'm thinking about these things, and then, then I stop and I go, hold it. Hold it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So what if that north wall doesn't work? I know it's got to be fixed. But God chose me before the foundation of the earth. And if He chose me before the foundation of the earth, don't you think He loves me? Cares for me? Don't you think He has things under control? Don't you think that this did not catch Him off guard? And I remind myself of this, and I say, thank you, Lord. Well, not only did He choose us, He adopted us, verse 5. In the Roman world, adoption was very different than in our world. I grew up in a home where mom and dad adopted six children. My family's tired of this joke, but I was number three, and after me they said we can do better if we pick them ourselves, and so they went out and adopted six kids. I'm sure that's the way it worked. 
they're not they're not fessing up on that but my my siblings are just as much a part of the family as I am when it comes to mom and dad's love and care they received just as much as we did they 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 when when it comes if there's any money left that we'll all split it God not only chose us and predestined us to be holy and blameless, but He chose us and predestined us so that we could be adopted. That we could belong to His family. Now, in, in the Roman Empire, often what happened is, is they would adopt somebody who was much older. There was, no, no, there was nobody who could become heir to the, to the family. And so they would bring somebody in and they would now you are my son, and, and in light of that, all that I have is yours. You carry my name on, and, 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 but the similar idea. He chose us, he adopted us. There's a sense of belonging, we're part of the family. Now, often I hear the question, if God chose me, or predestined me, what about those he didn't choose or predestined? Well, the text doesn't seem to really deal with that. Logically, I think you, we can think through that stuff, but what's, what's, what's fascinating, I think where we need to stay is with what the text is saying. He chose us to be holy and blameless, and he chose us to be adopted, to be part of the family. I've never heard anybody come to my parents and say, why didn't you adopt seven? Or eight? Or nine. The focus is on the fact that he's adopted us. That's astounding and beautiful. And I can see, see Paul in prison. The meal wasn't that great this morning, but he stops and he says, Thank you, Jesus, that you've adopted me into your family. I belong to the, the family of the king. And that's not some pie in the sky, that's actually reality. But he's incredibly, that's why he's bubbling over. That's why it's one long sentence. But not only did he choose us, not only did he adopt us, but he redeemed us. The picture there is a picture of slavery. Where, 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 where God literally wrote out a check and says, I'm going to purchase him. Purchase her to be part of my family. They were enslaved, and this is now who they are. Redemption. Of course, the picture is probably for the Apostle Paul going back to the Old Testament and thinking, we were slaves in Egypt at one time. And God, in an incredible way, moved, moved heaven and earth and brought us across the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. He redeemed us. He purchased us. But what does the text say? In Him we have redemption through His blood. Through the work of the cross. Through what Christ did on the cross. The blood of Jesus is the price that it will cost so that we could become part of the family. So that we could be purchased back. 
In Him, verse 7, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Paul just is stopping there in, in, in prison and he goes, and, and if you know the story of the Apostle Paul, it's in Acts chapter 9 where he's literally hell-bent on destroying the church. He's done it in Jerusalem. He's, he's a significant piece in, in putting Stephen to death. And now he's headed to the city of Damascus to do the same thing to the church in Damascus. And as he's going there, boom, a light and a voice speaks to him and he meets Jesus and he's predestined, chosen to be an apostle. He's adopted into the family. He's been redeemed from his, 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 his wickedness of putting Stephen and others to death and others into prison. He's been forgiven. And Paul is just overwhelmed and he goes, this, this, the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. When's the last time he just stopped and paused and said, Lord, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by what You've done for me. Yes, the physical things, but what about the spiritual blessings? He chose us. He adopted us. He, he redeemed us. He made known to us the mystery of His will. Fourthly, He begins to show us what, what the future looks like. He begins to show us that, that there is a future. He, Paul's sitting in prison and, he's, and, and, and the meal was cold that morning and, and, and he begins to think about, I have a future that's beyond the grave. He says in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And I read that and I'm going, what are you saying, Paul? Paul simply saying that God, when Christ came, the fullness of time came. That, that somewhere down there, he, at the end of days, He's going to bring together a sum of things. He's going to bring it all together. He's going to put it under the headship, under the, the control, under the lordship, under the rule of Jesus. And as we read in Revelation, everything will be made right. Tears will be wiped away. You know, when I go through difficult times in life, when, I, when, I, when, when, it's, when there's somebody who's passed away in my family, or there's sickness, or there's sorrow, as I'm walking through that, you know what? I'm thankful for doctors, and I'm thankful for people to come along and encourage me, but what really brings me comfort is that there's an end to this stuff. It, it, Paul is just saying, thank you, Lord. That you've made known to us the mystery of, the, of your will. According to your purpose, 
or good pleasure. This brings him pleasure. You see a God here that's not an, an, is a cosmic killjoy or some angry lavishes grace upon us, loves us, predestined us in love. He adopts us so that we can belong. He shows us the mystery of His will and where we're headed and where we're going. Before all this, this, all the things were created, He actually chose us, predestined us, predetermined us. I don't understand that, but He did it. That's what the text says. Fifthly, He chose us again. Verse 11. Translators wrestle with this. Uh, literally, it, the idea here is, is um, that He chose us in the casting of a lot. Now, some translations uh, try to understand that by in Him we obtained an inheritance. But this whole idea that we've been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, again, Paul brings us back to this place. God, all of this was by Your sovereign plan. And there's comfort in that. It's not, there's no comfort in that if he's, if, he's, if he's out to destroy, but if He's out to bless. Incredible comfort. Finally, He sealed us. Verse 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. When we came to faith in Christ, we received His Spirit as a guarantee, almost as a deposit saying, this is, this is real, this will happen. This is a certainty. Some look at this, some of your translations in front of you will look at this text slightly different, and it'll say something to this effect NIV, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Love that. We belong to Him. We are His. Verse 14. Paul stops to praise God, says, God, thank You for choosing us. Thank You for adopting us. Thank You for redeeming us. Thank You, Father, for making known to us the mystery of Your will. Thank You for, for choosing us again in verse 11. And then in verses 13 and 14, thank You, Father, for sealing us with Your Spirit. I think in verse 13 and 14, Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. He says, in him you also. I think he's talking to us. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
There's something that takes place here in the past before God creates the world where He predetermines and He chooses. There's something that's going on now where He redeems us. But there's something that we're called to do, right? We're called to hear the incredible Word, the incredible Gospel of Jesus, the work that He did on the cross, and we're called to believe in Him. We're called to respond. And when that happens, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Somebody a long time ago told me that a good husband is a student of his wife. Not in the sense where she's our teacher, but in the sense where I'm constantly studying Lynn. What makes her laugh? What makes her what makes her cry? What 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 what's her desires and plans and hopes and dreams? Now, I'll be the first to tell you. Well, actually, Lynn will probably be the first to tell you. That's one subject that I don't always pass. Because I get sidetracked, and I forget that we should go on dates, and that we should, we should do those things. And, and she clues me in every once in a while and says, Elroy, when's the last time we talked? And I'm thinking, well, oh, yeah, I don't remember. Some of you understand The more I get to know Lynn, the more I, I just can't help but say thank you, Jesus, for her. There's times I'll be driving down the road and I'll, all of a sudden I'll be think of something she said or some, some way that she smiled or, or something that caused her to cry and I, and, and I just have to go, thank you, Lord, for, for Lynn and thank you for the way you've made her and... and And I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's become such a student of, of the God who he serves and the Jesus who died upon a cross for him. The more he gets to know this Lord, the more he spontaneously breaks out into saying, thank you, Lord, for this and this and this and this, and it just goes off. And I think Paul teaches us not only how to praise Him, but I think Paul challenges us to praise Him. He challenges us to get to know Him. In fact, next week he's actually going to pray so that the church in Ephesus will get to know Him. And so Paul begins this beautiful letter simply by praising God. I think that's a beautiful way for us to gather together for our first Sunday together this summer season, I just praise God. And so we're going to continue to worship Him through music, but we're also, around here, we, 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 we celebrate... Oh, Jay, you need this, don't you? 
we celebrate around the table. And we do it a little different than probably what you're used to. But we like to gather to come forward, and, and in groups of about six or seven or ten or sometimes too many, <laughs> we gather around the table and, and we just pause and, and reflect and remember what he's done for us. And we just come down the center aisle and we, we, we gather around. I'll serve you so you'll know what to do. And then when you're finished, we'll just head off around to the sides and let the, the next group come. But if you are one, as the Ephesians, who has heard the word of truth, and you, put, and you believe in this Jesus, then you're welcome to join us around the table. It's for every follower of Christ. If you haven't done that, then I encourage you to stay where you're at. But otherwise, welcome. Come. Let me pray. Lord, we are a people who need you. And as we walk through Ephesians, Father, would you teach us these incredible, deep, beautiful truths. But bigger than that, Father, would you help us to know you Would you help us to grow in our love for you? Would you help us to become a people like Paul who could just break out in praise spontaneously because he knew you so well and knew what you have done for him so well? And Father, as we do that, may it affect the way we love our wives, the way we raise our kids, the way we treat one another. Lord, would you do a good work among us? And now as we gather around the table, would we pause and remember you? And would you graciously, Lord, teach us and remind us of the gospel? In your precious name we pray. Amen.